Welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast dedicated to helping you discover the scriptures in a fresh way, invest your mind and heart into your personal study, and connect to God in your everyday life. We are your hosts, Zach and Krista Horton, and we are here this week to study with you in sections 100, oh, I should just say section 124, only one section this week, but it is a long section. 140, 140 something verses, right? Yeah, I was, I was feeling that by the end. Oh, still more pages. Oh, (laughs) Oh, more pages. Well, it's an interesting section because there's a lot in it and it's two years uh, in the future from where we were last time. So uh, sections 121 to 123, the letter from Liberty Jail uh, was received in March of 1839. And here we are in January of 1841. So almost two full years later. So do you think that's because they, are there other revelations out of order from this or is it? No, there's other, there's other revelations. The Doctrine of Covenants doesn't contain everything that came to Joseph Smith, everything that he wrote. Um, But in this two year time span, things are just kind of crazy. So Joseph and other church leaders that are with him in Liberty get out of Liberty Jail in April of 1839. Uh, But there's no home. Um, The saints in Missouri were, they had to leave their homes in far west and other places while Joseph's in jail. So in the middle of that winter, they're they're leaving the whole state of Missouri, walking backwards. Uh, They walk into Illinois. The people in Quincy, Illinois, let them stay there temporarily but then um, ask them to move on. And so they find this kind of backwaters, backwaters-y, backwaters-y, backwatery. That's a word you just made up. I'm glad you did that. Usually I'm the one that makes up the words. They find this place, (laughs) Commerce, Illinois, that they can purchase because it's cheap. And and, uh, they finally find somewhere where they can stay, but it's it's a mess putting everything back together and trying to create a, a city and... And gather people together so kind of makes sense that there's not as much, not as much of a recording. record and yep. so but Nauvoo of course is one of the most revelatory periods of time in our church history even though we don't have as many sections of the Doctrine and Covenants as we do from Kirtland or even from Missouri uh, Joseph reveals a lot that has come to him some as he's in Liberty Jail and some that comes to him um, in Nauvoo. Um, some of the the sermons that he preached in Nauvoo are just filled with truth. And you almost have the sense that Joseph is trying to un, unburden these, these revelations that have come to him. He's trying to pour out everything that he can on the members of the church because he probably senses that, uh, that his life has a, a limit to it. So. Well, it's interesting, too, to think of that, of um, the way that he's feeling, of probably the way that he's, what he's been learning over these past two years, too. So it's kind of interesting to, to think of that. Yeah. Just yeah. hadn't before, so. So what we want to study this episode is an idea that's pretty well known, but um, I don't think we understand that it's as prevalent as it is. So it's well known that Nauvoo means beautiful. Uh, It's slightly less known that when they got to Commerce, which they'll rename Nauvoo, it's a swamp and it's mosquito ridden and it's just, it's anything but beautiful. Um, 
And so the Lord says in the first two verses of section 124, Verily thus saith the Lord unto you, my servant Joseph Smith, I am well pleased with your offering and acknowledgments which you have made. For unto this end have I raised you up, that I might show forth my wisdom through the weak things of the earth. Your prayers are acceptable before me, and in answer to them I say unto you that you are now called immediately to make a solemn proclamation of my gospel, and of this stake, which I have planted to be a cornerstone of Zion, which shall be polished with the refinement which is after the similitude of a palace. In other words, Joseph, I'm glad that you're here. I am going to show you that I can make weak things strong, uh, ugly things beautiful. I can make, uh, I can polish and refine something so that it's as beautiful as a palace. And that's what happens with Nauvoo. It becomes a beautiful city. It's a beautiful place today. But it wasn't that way. And rather than this being a one-off kind of unique thing, this actually seems to be the way the Lord prefers to work. A couple of cases in point. Um, Missouri, when they get to Missouri, is not Zion. Uh, Jackson County isn't Zion. It's this edge of the frontier, rough and tumble, uh, somewhat godless place that uh, through work and through prayer and through fasting, they're able to create a, a Zion. Nauvoo, the same thing happens when they get to Salt Lake. It's a desert, um, but they're able to make this desert blossom like the rose. And so in our church history, we have more instances of us finding and inheriting an ugly place that we are able to turn into something beautiful than we ever are of inheriting something beautiful. And I think that's on purpose. I think this principle that the Lord likes to show forth his strength in weakness, that he likes to prove that he can take weak or broken or ugly things and make them strong and beautiful, is so much a part of his mission that it shows up repeatedly. And I think studying this section and studying Nauvoo can help us to see that. Well, and we can see this in those examples you gave. And I love thinking of those in progression of all of those places that the Lord saw potential in. And ultimately, that's what these sections are all about is, um, or what we're going to study today about, is how that's the pattern that God follows. And it doesn't just apply to these places, but it's also about people too. I loved that verse that you read, Zach, at the end of verse 1, where it just says, I raised you up that I might show forth my wisdom through the weak things of the earth. How often is that us? The people, God's people mm -hmm. are um, the weak things, or maybe... God doesn't see that. I think he sees much more potential in us, but sometimes that's how we feel. We feel, um, I don't know, Zach word, used the word unbeautiful before, but I don't know if that's a word either. Uh, it is now. Get it. You know what we're talking about when we say it, so it works, but um, that we don't feel as beautiful as we want to, but that um, God's going to show us that he can make us feel the way that we he wants us to feel and realize our potential that he sees in us. In fact, we're kind of making good here on a promise that the Lord gave uh, in 1831, so 10 years before this, in the preface to the Doctrine and Covenants, section 1, which was received right before they published the Book of Commandments. We love some of these verses in section 1, verses that talk about the calling of Joseph Smith, 
uh, verses that talk about the Lord speaking through his servants and that his voice is the same, whether it comes from him or from them. But we don't often reference the promise that is central to section one and therefore central to the entire doctrine and covenants and maybe even the entire restoration. And that's this. This is verse 18. I also gave commandments to others that they should proclaim these things unto the world. And all this, meaning all these commandments and all this proclaiming and all this work that's going to take place in the restoration, that it might be fulfilled, which was written by the prophets, the weak things of the world shall come forth and break down the mighty and strong ones. That man should not counsel his fellow men, neither trust in the arm of flesh, but that every man might speak in the name of the Lord God. Uh, verse 23, that the fullness of my gospel might be proclaimed by the weak and the simple under the ends of the world and before kings and rulers. And then verse 24, behold, I am God and have spoken it. These commandments are of me and were given unto my servants in their weakness after the manner of their language that they might come to understanding. In other words, the Lord not only uh, allows weakness and has a place in his plan and methods for helping us overcome those weaknesses, he plans on weakness. It's a part of the plan. And we've talked about this uh, over the past couple of weeks, that weakness is a part of our mortal experience. So what we want to look at in this episode, what we want to discover is, what can we do then to make ugly things beautiful, to make weak things strong? Um, in fact, the invest question we want to ask is, how can I work with the Lord to make something beautiful? Now, I use the word something, but I think this would be a more powerful question for you if you actually stopped and deliberately thought of something in your life that you think is weak or unbeautiful, because ugly is an ugly word. Something that isn't the way you want it to be. Something specific. It can be a personality trait about yourself. It can be um, a, a project that you're working on. It can be a relationship that isn't going the way that you want it to go. Um, it can be something in your home life or something in your work life or something in your community relationships. But pick something specific and then ask yourself the question as you study this week, how can I work with the Lord to make this Thing beautiful? Well, I think this is such a great question to study with this week because as Zach was listing off some of those things that all of us are working on or some of the many things that we're working on, of course, personally for me, many have came to mind and it reiterated the importance of this verse or maybe I'll even call it the first step that I think we could all use as we work to have the Lord with us to make things beautiful. And this is in verse 9. He says, And again, I will visit and soften their hearts, many of them for your good, that ye may find grace in their eyes, that they may come to the light of truth. Um, now, this verse is directed at people that have been persecuting the church. And God's saying that... Um, He's going to help them and soften their hearts, of course. Um, but I think this is something that can apply to all of us, um, that I will visit and soften their hearts. I think that as we soften our own hearts or maybe even let him soften our hearts, maybe some of those um, hard things or the stubborn things um, will begin to change. But I really feel like that's maybe that first step is softening the hearts 
um, and finding grace and seeking that light of truth. I think, anyway, just maybe the first step for all of us is softening the heart and letting God in. Well, I really like that. Um, I, I've, I've always loved verse 15 about Hiram Smith. It, it says, uh, I, the Lord, love him because of the integrity of his heart and because he loveth that which is right before me, saith the Lord. And I think maybe Hiram's an example of what you're talking about. Um, someone that allowed his heart to be continually softened. Everything we know about Hiram seems to be that he was very open and willing to receive instruction, direction, revelation, uh, to follow Joseph anywhere he went. And that only comes from someone that has a soft heart. Mm-hmm. And isn't that all of those words, like opening up your heart to God? The The language of the scriptures is that, that hard-heartedness um, versus that softening and opening to allow God to give us instruction and maybe even tell us some of those hard things that are going to help us change. Um, I used to do this when I taught seminary. I would uh, invite two students to come up and have a Play-Doh contest to see who could make the best looking, you know, snowman or whatever. And uh, one of them, I'd give a regular uh, container of Play-Doh. And the other one, I had this this uh, ball of, of Play-Doh that I had microwaved. And so it was like burnt and black and com- and completely hard. And so I'd you know, they didn't know that. I'd open up the containers, ready, set, go, and really dumb way to show when something's soft and moldable, you could make it look like anything you want. And if someone is really skilled, then it can become something really beautiful. But no matter how skilled the sculptor is, if the clay is hard, even the most skilled sculptor, even a divine sculptor can't make something beautiful out of that. The or at least one of the answers that I found to this question um, of how to make something, how to work with the Lord to make something beautiful. It was interesting to me to note that in this revelation, there are two buildings that are commanded to be built. Uh, One, of course, is the temple in Nauvoo. The Lord designates Nauvoo as a temple city. It's going to be a corner stake of Zion. And in this corner stake, there needs to be a temple. And they will, of course, build the temple, even though Joseph will never see it completed. Uh, But they will uh, build the Nauvoo temple. But the other building is what's called the Nauvoo house. And it's actually listed first and featured most predominantly. And it could just be because by the time we get to Nauvoo, we've... Uh, we've had enough temple instruction that hopefully we know how to build a temple. And this Nauvoo house is a little bit different. But it's uh, it's described in detail and given some pretty strict guidelines for how it's supposed to be run and built and managed. And it's interesting to note because these two buildings, um, in this revelation at least, serve as Uh, two kind of center points for what Nauvoo is supposed to be. The first, of course, the temple. It is supposed to be a place where we connect to God and receive, as it says in verse 39, anointings and washings and baptisms and solemn assemblies and memorials and oracles and, of course, an endowment. That all happens in Nauvoo. But the other thing that's supposed to happen is verse 23. And it shall be, talk about the Nauvoo house, a house for boarding, a house that strangers may come from afar to lodge therein. Therefore, let it be a good house, worthy of all acceptation, that the weary traveler may find health and safety, while he shall contemplate the word of the Lord and the cornerstone I have appointed for Zion. Uh, Verse 60. 
Let the name of that house be called Nauvoo House, and let it be a delightful habitation for man, and a resting place for the weary traveler, that he may contemplate the glory of Zion, and the glory of this, the cornerstone thereof, and that he may receive also the counsel from those whom I have set to be as plants of renown, and as watchmen upon her walls. I love that Nauvoo is beautiful for at least two reasons. One, because it has a temple of the Lord in it that connects people to God. But two, because it has this house that is specifically designed to be open to and welcome strangers, outsiders, unbelievers, people that uh, will not enter the temple but who will stay in the Nauvoo house and contemplate the beauty of Zion, receive direction from prophets and apostles, um, and receive rest for their wearied souls. And as I'm thinking about things I want to make beautiful in my life, those two buildings, I think, are a great are symbols, two great symbols for what we can do. The first, of course, the temple. To make something beautiful, I have to be in connection with God. He's the ultimate divine sculptor that can make things beautiful. But two is I think that in making something beautiful, we can maybe be more open to others, even those that have different beliefs, different practices, different religions or non-religions, and uh, in our associations with them, draw from them beauty and allow them to to receive some of the, the beauty that we have in our own lives. I think... Um, this last general conference, so many messages, at least for me, on on unity and on peace and harmony with uh, with the world. And whereas in the past we've maybe been a bit more at war with quote unquote the world, I think the call now is to um, to care for others and to um, be with them, to love them, to serve them, and to let them influence in good and positive and healthy ways us and our lives. Well, and in today's climate of so much divisiveness and so much turmoil going on in the world, and not only that, but just the information age of all that we have to listen to and know about, um, don't we need more of that anyway? That um, idea of just more love, more peace, more connection. And I think that um, God is ready and willing, very willing um, to help us do that and bring more of that to our to our lives and to those around us. If you think about it, it's the two great commandments. The temple is a place where we can love and serve God. This Nauvoo house is a place where they could love and serve others. And those two great commandments might be the two great commandments uh, practices for making something beautiful. Well, I think that these, the next couple, well, I guess I could call it maybe a pattern that I found was just actually having to do with each of those places, the Nauvoo house and then the temple. And it was this phrase that stuck out to me first in verse 24 that says, this house shall be a healthful habitation if it be built unto my name. And then in reference to the temple, he says, but I command you all ye saints to build a house unto me. And I thought that in relationship to this question that we're discussing is how can I make, how can I work with the Lord to make whatever it is that we need beautiful? Um, I think that if we're building it with him, if we're focusing on him and having his help with us, so maybe this is um, part of the steps, but also part of the broader answer is just make sure that we 
we let him and that we are building it unto him, whatever it is that we're building. You know, maybe just a small example from our lives. Uh, one of the things we have uh, benefited so greatly from in moving uh, to Pennsylvania is we've gotten to meet so many uh, new people, neighbors, friends, community members, of course, very few of whom are members of our church. Uh, quite a few of them, though, are very religious uh, and and devoted people. And I have really appreciated the interactions with them and seeing how value-driven they are, how moral they are, how good they are, and uh, and how much they love and serve and care about God and community just the way that, that we do. And um, learning ideas and practices um, and principles from them has been just a beautiful part of our life here. Well, and that's interesting just got me thinking about those verses, those phrases that I just shared, those build it unto me. Not everyone is going to be building with God in the same way that we are. It's going to look different, but that doesn't mean that they're not also building toward God. Mm. They're doing things differently. But um, I don't know, I guess for me, in my mind, if I'm conveying this correctly, it kind of ties all these things together, the unity, the peace, the softening, the um, building with God. Each of our assignments, whether a member of our church or a member of a different church or a member of no church, is going to look differently, the roles that we play. But if we focus on that idea of peace and love, and if we allow God to be a part of it, um, I think we can have more harmony in all the things that we're doing. Um, and in all of that, I guess almost maybe for me in a comical way, as I read through this, like I mentioned, long um, section of the Doctrine and Covenants, I, I wrote next to my scriptures, um, God is interested in details. And it made me think of the phrase, which I don't think it's a scriptural phrase. I should have asked you before this, the God is in the details. Oh, I think that's one it. of those things that's just a coined Christian. I never Christian. said it would be easy. I said it would be worth it. <laughs> yeah, but this one's better because they're not <laughs> making Jesus say it. Anyway, um, so God is in the details of our lives. Um, God is very interested. Maybe for me, this was the lesson of this section, generally speaking, is um, he gives a lot of very small, minute instructions about some people that we'd ne we've never even heard of before, yet he's giving them revelation as to what their role is in, in all of this. And so I think that that's another part to remember um, that he's interested in helping us make even the littlest details beautiful and helping us in all of the ways. In fact, I think that's a good point that we could use to connect with God. So for connect, we always uh, propose a, a specific thing you might do to apply what you're learning this week. We're learning this week. Um, and God being in the details and being willing to inspire specific actions, I think is a really fascinating principle. I am currently reading... Uh, Benjamin Franklin's autobiography. We live near Philadelphia and got to read Benjamin Franklin stuff. And uh, it's, a, it's a fun book to read. He's just really fun to read. But one of the things that's fascinating about him um, is he decided somewhat early on in his life that he was going to, what he says, achieve moral perfection. So he wrote out 13 virtues that he was going to practice and he made a whole elaborate system for tracking his progress at working on these virtues, accounting for mistakes, making changes, 
Um, and he, he set to work about improving his, his life the same way that he did about improving his business ventures as a printer. It was very deliberate and specific and planned and targeted. And it was inspiring to me to read, and he was the first to admit, uh, he writes in his book, that he wasn't perfect at everything, and there were some things that he just never got to, and uh, he writes about humility. I think he says uh, he never was able to become humble, but he got pretty good at appearing to be humble. I was going to say, I think that's in his book. It feels very much that way, the, like... Oh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm saying all these great things, but I'm very humble. I like <laughs> yeah. that about the book. It makes it fun to read, like Zach mentioned. But I, as I think of that, and I think of God being in the details and the specific instructions he gives in the section, I think, you know what, if we were to do something similar to that, I believe God would help us. Rather than just a general, you know, I'm going to work at being more peaceful, or I'm going to work at making things beautiful this week. What if you sat down and picked something specific and then from your study, either from things that we talked about in this podcast or hopefully from things that you learned in your own study, you come up with some specific steps, small, minute, actionable items that you could do to build something more beautiful. And uh, the, I think, belief is that I have is that if we did that, the Lord would be as involved in the details of us building our own Nauvoo as he was in the details of the saints building Nauvoo in 1841. So give that a try. And hopefully that uh, invitation, along with the questions uh, and ideas that we've posed here, help you to have your own phenomenal study of section 124 and hope to help to bring more beauty to your life. Thank you so much for studying with us in this episode. This week, we will see you next week. Thank you.